Welcome to episode 26 of Bedtime Stories for Grown-Ups, a podcast that is created from the stuff of dreams. Once upon a time, if you were lucky, someone told you bedtime stories. Maybe someone read you books, or the same favorite book over and over. Or maybe someone made up your bedtime stories, telling you nonsensical things until you closed your eyes and let sleep take you away. These bedtime stories are the whimsical made-up kind, little scenes from dreamland to guide you there. There is no plot to follow, no sense to make of anything, just a sequence of images from beyond the consciousness of day to help you let go and drift into dreamland. We are going to a place called Whitehorse. There is a lot of snow on the roads, so we are traveling by dog sled. When we stop to catch our breath, we meet some women sitting around a craft table. One of them is explaining some sort of interesting metaphysical phenomenon. There is another name for it, which we have long forgotten. We find the idea of this phenomenon is so astounding and amazing that we cannot help but laugh and laugh. And some of us end up lying on the ground, completely overwhelmed with awe and wonder. Another woman, we cannot remember her name, She is offering to accompany us all the way to Whitehorse. It is not that far from here. So now we are walking through snow-covered fields. We all seem to be walking on different parallel paths. We can still hear our guide's voice, but we cannot see her. There is a van stuck in the snow up ahead. The van doors are open, and when we walk by, we see that it is full of young people from Quebec. Bonjour, we say. Ça va? And they say, Oui, oui, ça va. Ça va bien. They are not stuck. They are just resting. So we continue on. Eventually, we find the woman whose name we cannot remember. And we can all see each other again. And then a child is calling out to us 
Blue dress, green dress. Blue dress, green dress. And then we look up ahead, and a young girl is floating in the sky. She is floating towards us, and she is surrounded by a blue-green glow. It is quite striking. And she floats straight to our guide, and hugs her. We are wondering if this could be the hug of death. But the woman whose name we cannot remember is so astonished that she is speechless. She does seem very happy, and as they hug, the glow starts to fade away, and then everyone is exclaiming with delight and hugging the girl. The girl is not a spirit after all; she is a girl they all know. The granddaughter of the woman whose name we cannot remember. She's been floating around, enshrouded by this blue-green glow, for quite some time now. It has something to do with the aurora borealis. It is a very rare occurrence, very special, and the fact that she has come back is significant. We have been blessed. We are at a stranger's funeral. They are also celebrating the birthday of a young boy, who is wearing some sort of mask, made out of a paper bag. We thought it was rather odd to celebrate a birthday at a funeral. Then a man came rushing in. He was out of his mind and yelling something incoherent. He pulled out a guitar case and was waving it around aggressively. What is going on? Is this supposed to be part of the funeral ritual? We get out of there as quickly as possible. We don't hear any more shouting. Or any shots fired. That's a relief. Maybe someone talked the incoherent man out of his blind rage. Now we are all milling around outside. We tried to talk to the strange birthday boy with the paper bag on his head, but he just turned and walked away. We have been staying with a large family, who live more than a day's journey away. Everything is communal. One of the older kids wakes us up, so that we can learn how his day usually begins. It is still very dark, but we drag ourselves up and politely greet the people in the kitchen on our way out the door. Another one of the kids is tagging along, skipping along beside us. He is a very chatty boy, and we learn that there are ten siblings, in between the ages of nine and fifteen and a half. We don't have time to puzzle over the math, 
we are heading out to the barn. There are brightly colored green frogs all over the ground. At first we think they are toys, but then they startle us when they hop out of our way. The chatty boy is saying that they are proud that there are so many frogs around the farm. It means that they are taking care of things properly now. There had been a time when there were hardly any frogs around at all. And now they are starting to come back. The birds too, and the insects of course. That is why we have come here, to learn how to bring back the birds and the bees, and the frogs, the brightly colored frogs. Down by the shore, we find a nest of what we think is baby birds, but it turns out to be a nest of miniature farm animals. Tiny little cows and sheep, the size of newborn kittens. They certainly sound more like mewling kittens than cows and sheep. We are settling into our seats. We are sharing green blankets. And we are all wearing red and orange toques that make our heads look like raspberries and salmonberries. We are an audience of raspberry and salmonberry bushes. The film starts. It is about many things. Mostly it is about a relationship between a man and a woman and their children. Suddenly the actors are live on stage, right in front of us. There is also a full orchestra and choir. There is some graphic intimacy that is quite titillating and the audience is squirming uncomfortably. It is shocking and unexpected. But is it valid? Or is it simply there for the shock factor? The scene changes, and we are looking at a beautiful seascape on the screen. And children come running from the wings and are now playing on the sandy beach, just in front of the screen. Someone in the audience starts talking, and the people around him are telling him to be quiet. Suddenly our seats lurch forward. Now the rows of seats are rumbling toward the stage, as though we are on some kind of roller coaster. And then the seats dump us out, and we tumble onto the stage. Is that supposed to happen? The performance is over. The audience laughs and leaps to their feet, applauding. This film within a play is all the rage. Or is it a play within a film? Or is it a film within a play, within a dream? It was certainly riveting and original.
but still, we are not moved. We have been given a riddle about the disappearing sagebrush and also the disappearing amphibians. We are being asked to write our biases down on paper and justify them. But then they said no. Don't write anything down. Don't write anything down at all. A woman named Mary was trapped on a platform high up in the forest canopy. There were some evil people holding her and many others hostage. They wore long white robes and were chanting in a foreign language that we did not understand. And they had a ritual that involved the drinking of blood. The hostages were all in cages, suspended from the trees. Someone was cutting a cable to try to set Mary free. They managed to cut the cable, and then the platform that she was on went catapulting through the trees. Someone shouted her name. We think he might have been her lover. But she was gone. Mary had disappeared. We were trying to communicate with the remaining hostages. We were unlocking their cages. But they were afraid to leave. They retreated to the back walls of their cages and turned their backs on us. And then the lights started flickering. It would be dark soon. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. After all, we are visiting an island that is really two islands attached by a long sandy spit that runs between the islands at low tide. The people here have built their houses on stilts, running the length of the spit. They really shouldn't have built their houses here. The tide is getting higher and higher these days. It is very hot here. Some days, it is so hot that it is difficult to breathe. Most of the people languish in hammocks and stare at computer screens that they have sewn into their beach towels. Some of the children still run around and build sandcastles at low tide. Walking along the spit, we come upon a couple of old-timers who have been living there since before anyone can remember. They are pointing out that the water is only going to get higher. It hasn't peaked yet, you see. They say, one day soon, all of these houses are just going to float away. The old-timers have been trying to warn the other folks, but they all seem to be hypnotized by their beach towel screens.
And when they do finally look up, their eyes are hollow and vacant, like mirrors reflecting a flickering blue light. Their eyes are no longer windows to their souls. They have let their souls be slowly sucked away. Suddenly there is a whale tail just off to our left. The whale could easily smash it down on us, but it lingers in the air for a moment and then slips quietly into the water. Wow. And then a giant raven is standing right in front of us. We are sharing our tree nuts with the raven. We have plenty to share. But now a wolf has his head in the bag full of tree nuts. Hey wolf, we say. These nuts might not be good for you. And we offer him some shortbread cookies with whiskey instead. There are people surrounded by rising waters, but they have no clean water to drink in the sweltering heat. The grown-ups are having another one of those big international meetings about it. They all give long-winded speeches and applaud one another, but nothing ever changes. We are on an island down at the shore. We had been planning to go swimming, but the tide is so high, it is already over our heads. And the water is not clear. It is glutinous and murky. We finally find a place where the water is clear, but it is also frozen solid. How can the water be frozen when it is so very hot outside? Then we see what we think is a huge whale emerging from the water. But it is a giant dinosaur-like creature with seaweed growing on its back. There are actually two of them. We just catch a brief glimpse before they submerge back into the murky depths. And now the air is full of hummingbirds. Hundreds of them. We are holding our breath. It is magical. There are two default routes to get here. Where we are now. There is one way to come into being, and one to fade away. Each new embodied life, usurping the last, and then fading away. Getting lost in the swirling mist of time and space. If you can unlock the mystery of the spider's web, 
you will be cracking an ancient code. The spiders can feel the rhythm of the universe, and the journey to all the other worlds begins on a bridge made of spider's silk. Thank you for listening. Sweet dreams.